What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Friday, January 12th, and it's the day before NFL playoffs officially start, which is super exciting. We've actually got, I don't even know if they usually do this, but it's, you know, it's Saturday games. I think there's two games tomorrow and then three games Sunday and then another game on Monday night. So we've got three straight days of having at least one game of NFL playoffs on, which is really nice. You know, wild card week, well, super wild card weekend. Sorry, pardon my pardon my language. But yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a good weekend this weekend. We've also well, we kind of just wrapped up the college football season. Haven't talked about the championship yet, but we will get to that today, kind of towards the middle of the episode. Well, middle towards end, I would say. And then we're going to be talking a little bit of college basketball since we didn't get to it last episode. We tried to, but it it just didn't really work out we got to well over an hour and we weren't even really done with with college football yet so college basketball will be in today's episode no matter what we're not going to spend as much time as as we did last episode or the episode before on NFL because there's not really much you know not much to talk about other than kind of just talking about what we see happening in the playoffs and then obviously the 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 head coaching firings and changes that we've seen that have really just come today. So this, this is kind of brand new news. Some of this, you know, head coaching jazz that we're going to talk about today in the NFL is kind of brand new, um, you know, just just referencing today. So you guys listening to this maybe tomorrow or in the, ne- the, the next few days are going to, you know, are, are going to kind of um, hear this first uh, from us. So that was really bad. Anyway, um, yeah, I've got Matt on the other end here. He's gonna he's gonna talk, so my brain farts don't continue. So Matt, go ahead. He's gonna pick up the uh, the pieces that you left on the table I, after a horrible beginning yeah, that of the was podcast. Really bad. Yeah, that's that's kind of my job is to always uh, be the, be the backbone. Hey, I'm your rock when it comes mm, to this podcast. No. Uh, no. Yes, as Hayden mentioned, it's you know it's 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 kind of and again that's we, we're not gonna spend too much on like the breaking down the matchups of the NFL playoffs, mostly because. Most of you listening to this podcast will be listening to it after after the games have already uh, transgressed. So, going to do kind of a you know here uh, like kind of biggest things in the in the first round here. Do a little playoff playoffs preview, but what we think is going to happen in terms of the uh, you know kind of how the how the playoffs will go, the Super Bowl matchup, all that type of stuff, um, and then coaching coaching news as well because a lot of that happened. It's, it, it was Black Monday as they call it uh, this past Monday, where which is kind of the day that all the coaches got fired. Even though I think. I think Ron Rivera was actually the only one who was, like, the actual only firing on Monday. You then pretty much every every day after that, you had, like, it was, like, Mike Vrabel. Then it was Bill Belichick. Then it was Pete Carroll. So it was kind of, like, every day preceding that was was uh, were kind of more were new. So we kind of wanted to get everything figured out uh, before recording this podcast. Obviously, yes, you're going to miss the NFL stuff at the beginning. It's going to be a little weird if you're listening to this after Monday, after the after the playoffs, uh, the first round wild card has progressed. Um, but – we got answers to a lot of the questions in terms of especially, you know, the, the the two biggest names in coaching that, you know, that are that are stepping down, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, both of their replacements are have already been hired. And so that's kind of what we wanted to at least get 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 that news before we were able to kind of or at least you know, not that like we recorded a podcast yesterday and then both of those positions were filled and we were spending, you know, thirty minutes talking about who we think is a good candidate to Yeah. So now we have those answers. Yeah, actually, I think Arthur Smith was the first one to be fired on Monday because yeah. he was fired at like twelve oh six a.m. on Monday. Right. So yes, it was Sunday night, but yeah, yes, technically Monday. But I will move on because I don't want to be that petty. So we will move into NFL right now. So the playoffs are set, as I said, and we've got some really interesting matchups going on, particularly in the realm of important players playing against former teams. It's kind of kind of a funny dynamic here but Stafford and Goff are both going against their respective former teams obviously Goff used to play for the Rams and Stafford used to play for the Lions now it's switched and also Tyreek Hill is facing off against the Chiefs in the first round which is going to be a a, a cool thing to see and I think that that game is supposed to be snowing or at least in the zero degree range so it's going to be kind of cool to see um he's he's probably going to be the only player on the Dolphins that's actually remotely comfortable in that weather and that's kind of part of this topic here um and then Mark, Mike McCarthy is also coaching against his former Packers so we've got three former team dynamics you know kind of clashing um in, the, in this super wild card weekend and you know there seems to be a common theme among 
these intrigue these intriguing matchups that everyone's mentioning, and 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 that's the home field advantage. That's you know kind of the idea of having home field advantage in this super wild card weekend. It seems to be almost more important this year, or at least for these circumstances this weekend, than it has been in past years. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt just to kind of talk about first. Do we think that home field advantage is more important at least this weekend than it, than it has been in every other? Super Wild Card weekend that we can really remember, or am I just kind of tripping and I just wrote this topic for nothing? But no, no, I, I think I think you're onto something for sure. Um, the just to kind of to kind of go back on you know the, the interesting matchups between players and star players and coaches who are playing against their former teams. It's actually the first time in the history of the NFL that two starting quarterbacks are playing against the teams that they used to be the starting quarterbacks for. Um, wow. First time in NFL history that's happened in the playoffs. In the regular season, it's happened plenty of times, but but uh, never number four has 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 there been a playoff matchup like that. And the same actually goes for Mike McCarthy. Never before has a has a has a head coach of a team played a playoff game against the team that he won a Super Bowl with previously as well. So kind of some some history being made here in terms of kind of who's going against each other. And I think that's that's a big part of this, you know, this wild card weekend and kind of the storylines going into it. As he had mentioned, had um, you know, kind of kind of all of it being headlined by these you know, by, by the home fields, right? Which essentially for all of the games, except for the Monday night game, the, the Buccaneers and the Eagles, um, all of those games, all the games, all five of them are either in a dome or terrible inclement weather beyond belief, right? Yeah, so you have exactly. kind of the, you know, the Texans and the, and the lions and the Cowboys who all are going to be playing on their home fields, which all are domes, all three of those games. Um, and then you have the bills and the chiefs who, you know, normally have bad weather at this time of year. Um, but who are, you know, playing on their home fields. And yeah, it's going to be like, like they're talking. So just to kind of get some context here too, um, then I'll kind of hand it off to Hayden. The, the bills game is supposed to be, it's not as gonna. It's not gonna be as cold as Kansas City, but it's gonna be still very cold. But the wind and the snow and the combination and the 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 field Orchard Park is actually right next to a lake, and so you have those we- weird lake effects with the wind and the rain and the snow and the thunder snow and all that craziness. They're actually saying I think it's gonna be okay for now, but they were saying as of yesterday that they might move the game to Cleveland um, because of how bad the weather's gonna be in Buffalo. And then similarly on the Kansas City side, uh, the weather is now projecting to be below zero for most like for like a like a starting temperature of the game and the with the wind chills and everything the feels like temperature can get up to like the negative 20 range and so, or something like that to the point where literally and this is it's, it's it's like there's like a national state of or like a state of emergency in in and around like the field and everything they said that if you're exposed to the weather's going to be so cold that essentially if you're exposed to the outside temperatures if your extremities are exposed to the outside temperatures for anything more than 30 minutes you're, you're basically going to get frostbite which is like how they're putting it and it's insane that like these guys are going to be playing an NFL playoff game uh, in those conditions and in fact the craziest part is too and if you're a player like I mean they have like they'll they'll make it work right they they have the heat the, the the turf is heated they have the heaters on the sidelines they have the big coats and everything so yeah you're going to be cold while you're you know while you're playing but there's ways to at least be exposed to some sort of heat but where this really impacts people is the fans like of yeah. these of these teams who are going to these games i heard that the the tickets uh for the kansas city game are 50 dollars, i think and oh like gosh. for an nfl playoff game in kansas city which is like they have the most you know the the, the craziest wow. fan base um you know that's what the, these tickets are going because nobody wants to go to the game and i wouldn't either i mean you're standing yeah. outside and that you're 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 literally are are having to protect yourself against possibly death by going (laughs) to this game because of how cold it is just to go to a first round NFL playoff game so yeah I think that's that is really kind of the coolest part about these games this weekend and what I'm looking forward to see is like right I mean Dallas has won 16 straight games at home like they're facing the Packers and the Packers defense has been an absolute sieve for the past you know for the majority of the season well the Packers offense though they've been really killing it Jordan Love actually that and that's actually the the game the the two quarterbacks in that game threw for the most touchdowns pass this year Dak Prescott and Jordan I think Dak Prescott had like 32 Jordan Love had 30 or 31 or something like that that's the most touchdown passes both of them threw the most touchdown passes in the NFL this year um in the regular season so tons of stuff going on um and that kind of what I meant to say with that Cowboys game is that right you know their home field advantage has been really their best advantage this entire year every time they got on the road and played a semi-good team they've they've lost um considerably so but their home court home court home court home field advantage is is really good and and we'll be able to kind of continue them uh to go throughout the playoffs you know because they got the two seed uh and then you know similarly I think the interesting thing is going to be with Buffalo where like okay they're playing the Pittsburgh 
you know, Pittsburgh kind of kind of slid in the playoffs. That you know, they didn't necessarily deserve to be there. They won so many games where it was just kind of craziness. Um, but but the Buffalo offense we saw succeed in Miami last weekend. And we kind of keep saying this, and we saw this last year in the playoffs when when Cincinnati came in, beat them as as like a seven point underdog outright. Is like the weather and the home field, like it's a, it's a good advantage for Buffalo because they are known and or they're at least they they know what to expect and they're used to the elements. But the way they play football, especially on offense with the high flying passes and you know. Josh Allen thrown it 70 yards on the field. That is not an advantage when you're play, try, playing in a thunder snow or in, in 50 mile an hour crosswinds, right? So so that's going to be, I think, the biggest thing to watch here is, is Hayden's right. It's kind of this the home field advantage for all of these teams does play an impact in, in how these games are going to be played out. But especially when you're talking about how how bad this weather is going to be, it, it almost might negate the, the, the advantage that that team does have by being at home. Yeah, and I, I think that... Well, I I think what Matt said, a lot of it is is definitely right, and I was really gonna more focus on. Uh, I thought that he was gonna focus on kind of the, the the cold weather aspect of things, but I was yeah I was gonna focus more on the the Cowboys and how how good they've been at home. Matt said that they've won seven seventeen straight at home. I think that kind of speaks for itself in a way, but the one thing that I'm looking at is yes, the Packers defense against against Dak and kind of how that works out because Packers defense, like Matt said, has, has been a little bit lackluster, even though I, th- I think it's mainly penalties that's been that's been hurting them. I, I mean, I think um, it was what, like Rashawn Gary had like a really bad offsides last yeah. week. That, and, and injuries too. Yeah. Devondre Campbell is the green dot linebacker. He's been out for, I think, more. He's, he's, he's missed more games than he's played. Same with Jair Alexander. Um, and then um, oh, they traded I know away Rasul Quay, Douglas. Quay Walker. Yeah, Quay Walker's also been, been out too. There's yeah. another safety, I'm forgetting his name too, but he's been out. So it's like, I think their their best three defensive players, they've only played five games, or they've only there's only been five games where all three of them have been healthy and playing. And I think yeah. they've played one, four out of those five. So, when they have their play, which hey, novel concept, Hayden. When you have your best players on the on that side of the ball, you're you're you know you're going to play better. Yes. But it's just like, is that going to be enough to overcome this? The biggest advantage in football right now is the Cowboys at home. That's going to be the tough part. Yeah, and they they also lost Rasul Douglas, which I didn't even I didn't even yeah. know until like the last few games of the season that he was playing for Buffalo, which I think is just kind of crazy because Rasul Douglas was one of their. I mean, he was kind of like a rising star on their defense on Green Bay's defense. And he he became like one of their best defensive players, and, and he's, they and he's been playing. He's probably been Buffalo's best defender for yeah, yeah. the back half of the season here too. He's been yeah. amazing, but he's he's had injury struggles too. I think in Buffalo, so we'll we'll kind of see how that turns out. I, I think so. I mean, I think he's been like he got hurt. Kinda, I think at the end of the Miami game, yeah. And so they're not sure if he's going to play or not. And yeah. but otherwise, he's been really good for them, which is why it was like one of those kind of key trades in the middle of the season there. Right. Yeah. So again, kind of just going back to the whole Cowboys thing. I mean, it, it's. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how Green Bay does in Dallas, but I think it's one of those things where I think if there's a team that's going to that's gonna be able to kind of go out there and be like, hey, we, we kind of have nothing to lose here. Let's just go out there and play football against, you know, against the Dallas Cowboys team who, well, they are, wait, dude. Oh, oh okay, 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 sorry. I thought that um, for a second, I thought that Green Bay won the NFC North and I was like, wait, how are two division winners playing each other? But yeah. They're they're actually not because the the Lions won the division, but um, but yeah, right. Like it's it, that's kind of the game that I'm looking at um to be you know, maybe the upset of the of the weekend this weekend, but um, but yeah, I think that the the, the weather has a huge factor, and I think it is kind of it's kind of interesting this year more than in past years because I don't think we've really had in past years at least in recent years I don't think we've had a you know a playoff game where you're in danger of getting frostbite if you're outside for more than 30 minutes. That's that's kind of crazy to, to say. But, um, yeah, it's going to be one of the coldest in NFL history yeah. temperature-wise. Yeah, it's, that's that's pretty crazy. So um, I kind of just wanted to mention that. Again, yeah, I, I kind of wrote the topic just to throw that out there because I think today, I mean, I think this weekend is is almost like the perfect storm of, of really bad weather games and then also a home field advantage for a team like the Cowboys who have just thrived at home all season. And the Lions have been home have, have been good at home yeah, too. I know true. we don't want to yeah. do a super in depth breakdown of that game, but it, it is interesting how right the Rams seem to be peaking at the perfect time. The the Lions have been you know kind of good, but I think almost paper tigers in a sense that like if they are in their own elements and you know at home and, and playing really well, and Jared Goff gets a defense that he likes, yet they're fine. The Lions defense also leaves a little bit to be desired, so that's going to be a, a really good game. I think. I, 
I don't know. I, I think a lot of people, like, assume that the Rams are going to win, but you look at the Rams' wins on the season. Like, I think, I mean, they beat the Seahawks twice and the Cardinals twice. They basically beat, like, I think eight out of their nine wins or something are against non-playoff teams. Um, wow. and, and, like, including and, – and the one was, like, last week where they beat the 49ers because the 49ers rested everybody instead of the Rams. So, a little bit weird, but it's kind of one of those things where the, the Rams have kind of taken advantage of a, a really easy schedule, I think, and, and, and look to be really good. Obviously, you know, Ryan Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl two years ago, so, you know, so – and then the core of that team is still here, so they can do it in the playoffs. But, um, but I think the talent of the Lions is 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 a little bit being underestimated in terms of you know who's who's possible to win that game. Yeah. So we've kind of already t- well, we sort of already talked about the Ravens and the 49ers last week. So I don't know if we want to say anything more well, about I, the playoffs. I would say, let's just yeah, let's just give our, our who we think okay. is going to be in the Super Bowl, who's going to win the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. Well, um, right off the bat, I mean, okay, I really want. So I, I really want to pick the the Ravens as my AFC Super Bowl representative, just because. I mean, the Ra- I, I think the Ravens de- deserve it at this point. You know, Matt Matt takes a lot of credit for calling them each year as as having a really good team, which they have. I mean, they've they've had I think they've had nine plus wins for you know for for a while now, and they haven't really been been able to make much playoff noise. So I'm gonna choose the Ravens as my Super Bowl representative from the AFC. I know it's kind of it's it's kind of a um, you know, a cliche pick this year, but I just, I don't know. Like if, I think if it was any other year and, or if the Ravens had had like a recent Super Bowl appearance or at least a recent good playoff run, I'd probably go for a team like the Browns or something like that, just because, you know, the Browns, have, <laughs> they, well, they've been really bad for a while. So, and then, you know, Joe Flacco as well, he, he has some playoff experience. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a team like like the Browns or maybe even like the Bills do well from from the um from the AFC just because the Bills have have been that perennial playoff team for at least if, or like the the really popular playoff team for the past few years and they haven't really been able to get it done just because of the Chiefs. I don't think the Chiefs have have what it takes to do much this year in the playoffs. And so, uh, I think their struggles all season have just been have been way too much at least on Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's going to be able to carry the team that much especially with Travis Kelsey kind of regressing this year a little bit I think that um you know it's, it's going to be a little bit too much for good old Patty Mahomes so I'm going to go with the Ravens from the AFC side and then from the NFC side like I could I mean I, I know I just said that I could see the Packers upsetting the, the Cowboys pretty easily um in this you know in, the, in this first weekend but I think like dude I, I think the Cowboys could be a popular team to make you know to make a big run obviously they they won the division over a team like the Eagles who you know the Eagles are are, are also a really good team but I think the Eagles are going to really fizzle out like fast in this um in this you know in this even maybe even in this first weekend we'll see but I don't know if the 49ers are going to make it to the Super Bowl I also don't want to make my Super Bowl pick the both both of the one seeds so I'm actually I'm actually going to go with the Cowboys um, for this for, for the NFC side. So I'm going to go Cowboys Ravens in my Super Bowl. I know it's kind of a it's a little bit of a, of a of an odd pick on the NFC side, but I just think I think if there's a year for the Cowboys to do it, you know, everybody's hating on the Cowboys. Everybody's kind of saying, yeah, well, they never make anything happen in the playoffs, so it's not going to happen again this year. I'm going to go for it, and I'm just going to pick the Cowboys because I think that you know I think I think Jerry Jones is tired of tired of hearing all of this. All this Dallas Cowboys can't do anything in the playoffs crap. So I all I'm not really even remotely uh, you know, a Cowboys fan. I don't I don't like them. I always call them the Cowgirls for a reason. But uh, I think that they, you know, I, I think that they're kind of, they're they're fun Super Bowl picks. I'm going to go Cowboys and Ravens. So my my Super Bowl teams to before the season preseason when we did the our, our predictions podcast. I don't remember what you said, Hayden, but I said it was going to be the Bills and the Cowboys. And so I ended up with both of the two seeds in this year's playoffs. I actually put a I actually kind of back back my uh, back my theory up, and I and I made a bet that the Cowboys and the Bills would face off in the Super Bowl back in like August before the season started. And it was at like it was like plus thirty five hundred or something, and I put like ten bucks on it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna or no, so like thirty bucks, so whatever it is. I made it so that I would win a thousand dollars basically if the Bills and the Cowboys faced off in the Super Bowl. And and while it's a possibility and got a lot better having the Bills having won that game in Miami uh, on Sunday to get the two seed in the home field advantage and everything, it's it's still a pretty big long shot for both of those teams to make it to the Super Bowl. But I will say, I mean, again, having the two seed pretty you know is is a pretty good advantage for both seeds. Um, I will say – I'm going to say the Bills make it out of the AFC. I think that, as Hayden said, they've had so much expectations in the past few years, and I think that when you have all the expectation piled on top of the fact that Josh Allen's just kind of a random – 
turnover machine, but touch, also touchdown machine at the same time. Their defense has been hurt the past couple of years too, and they haven't been able to stop Joe Burrow. Uh, I think this is probably the Bills' year because they don't have those expectations. You know, the Ravens are the best team, in the, you know, in the, in the AFC. The Bills had to win. Bills were six and six and six. They had to win their last five games to even get to this point to begin with. So they've been playing playoff football essentially. They've been playing for their playoff lives for the past for the past you know over a month now. Um, and I think that their path is going to be pretty easy too. At least to the AFC Championship, you know, you get the Steelers game, you're favored by ten. You know, you likely play the Chiefs in the next round. You know, as good as the Chiefs have been in the past years, as he had mentioned too, like the offense just hasn't come together this year you're gonna be favored against the Chiefs if you play the Chiefs at home in Buffalo and then you're just going to Baltimore and I can very much see a scenario where the weather isn't as bad as I said before the Bills play better in better weather and, and, and you know the weather won't be as bad the, the, the environment will be hostile if you're you know if you're playing the Ravens in the AFC Championship but but I, I think the Bills can get out of there I think they can do it they can make it to the Super Bowl this year um and, and on the NFC side it's just I as much as you know as and Hayden kind of went through it it's just as much as I want to pick someone other than the 49ers, I just don't see anyone other than the 49ers winning the NFC, right? Especially because they already have the one seed, so you only have to win two games, and it's going to be against a team that you've already beaten. Like, they, the, the, the 49ers have beaten every single team in the NFC playoffs, I think, except for the Lions, and I don't see the Lions making it all the way to the, AFC champ, or the NFC Championship. And if they do, they still got to go to San Francisco. They still got to play, you know, at, at, uh, at the 49ers' home field. Um, and, and so, realistically, as Hayden mentioned, the only other team I, I could see that, that would get out of the NFC is the the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are going to have to go to San Francisco where they went on Sunday night. I think it was, it was early. It was like week four or week five, but they lost that game. I think it was 40, 42 to 10 or something like that. Yeah, something um, like that. So, so this has happened before. We've seen this movie before and we've, we've only seen the 49ers come out on top of basically any, you know, juggernaut team that we think could make it far in the NFC playoffs. So give me the Bills and the 49ers. Um, and, and I think the Bills get it done. I think they, you know, they have everything that it takes. The defense is finally healthy. The offense has come along. Um, and and realistically, as long as Josh Allen doesn't turn it over three times in the red zone like he did against Miami, uh, I think the Bills can compete and win against anyone. So I think the Bills are going to beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. All right. Well, yeah, I, I didn't even really give my, my winner. But just to kind of complete what I was uh, – my philosophy with the Ravens, I'm going to pick the Ravens over the – over the Cowboys, just because the Cowboys won't, right, even though they have to win a game, an away game over a 49ers team that's one of the most dominant teams right now in the NFL, uh, even t- just to make it to the Super Bowl, I think that, you know, maybe maybe a, a second game away from home is going to be a little bit too much for the Cowboys, so give me the Ravens as my Super Bowl winner. So, and, and other interesting note, just really quick, the Super Bowl is in Las Vegas, and so w- there was a scenario, I just want to point this out because I think it's really cool. There was, So two years ago, when the Rams played, when the Rams beat the Bengals, or no, sorry, three years ago, when the when the Buccaneers beat the Chiefs, the 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 Super Bowl was in Tampa, and so the the forty or the the Buccaneers played the Super Bowl in their home stadium. That was the first time that had ever happened, and then it happened again the very next year when the Rams played the Bengals in L.A. And then ever since the well, last year was I don't know where it was, but the Chiefs won whatever. Um, and so this year it's guaranteed that no teams will be playing at their home stadium. But two, like you got to think about it, right? If the 49ers and Ravens both make it to the Super Bowl, you're playing in Vegas. The 49ers are what a you know five hour four hour yeah. drive from Vegas and the Ravens are all the way on the East Coast. So in terms of fan travel and team travel and all that, um, you know, that that also might be an advantage for some of the West Coast teams, depending on how far they're able to make it. Yeah, that's that's very true. Good point by Matt. All right, let's move on to the coaching carousel that we can, or that, that we've kind of started in the NFL. The list of fired coaches is now up to nine, and some were expected, but among the most notable include uh, Mike, Mike Vrabel from Tennessee, Pete Carroll from Se- or in Seattle, and then... Like we mentioned, um, somewhat. I mean, it was kind of expected more earlier in the season. Bill Belichick is is out of New England, and you know we saw his uh, his kind of speech with. I, I think it was like with Robert Kraft or something, it, or at least like Robert Kraft was there while Bill Belichick was was talking. You know, was kind of like saying his goodbye to the media, or at least saying his goodbye to New England to the media. You know the the whole the whole media jazz nowadays that has to, that has to go on, but um, I found I found that kind of weird, like his his whole, you know, kind of like saying goodbye to New England, but talking to the media that was that was a little little weird, but um, but yeah, so those are kind of the most notable guys. My I, honestly, the big surprise that I saw, and I guess maybe it's not a surprise just based on record that he's had in recent years, but like Mike Rabel in Tennessee, I feel like Mike Rabel's been. I mean, he didn't he win Coach of the Year like 
just a couple years ago or like a few years ago, I or, think, yeah. or he was like at least like supposed to win it. Yeah, and he was, didn't. Maybe there was there was a year that they were the one seed, and I think that might have been when oh, he was yeah, yeah, the yeah. year. I don't think they had had like a losing record the year before, but there was. I think in successive years, I think they they got to the AFC Championship. They beat the Patriots. Remember that was Tom Brady's oh, yeah. last like yes, play as a Patriot was an yes. interception thrown to the Titans that they were <laughs> on their way to the AFC Championship. Goodness. And then I think the next year they got the one seed, and so everybody was like, oh, he's building a dynasty just like just like Brady or just like uh, Belichick. And and then yeah. Ever since then, they've like missed the playoffs and haven't been good. Yeah, so I mean, again, it's it's not really. I guess at this point, it's not really a surprise. But I've just always thought of Mike Vrabel being, you know, being being a really good coach at least, uh, just just kind of in general, especially for a Tennessee team who hasn't had much success, even like throughout our lifetimes. Really, I mean, we we haven't really seen Tennessee do much except for get that one seed when Vrabel was the head coach there. Um, there was there was some, you know. Some um some little birdies saying that Mike Vrabel might go to New England before they hired Gerard Mayo today, uh, but then that kind of that kind of fizzled out pretty quick. I was kind of hoping for that because I think Vrabel's a a great head coach. I think that you know I think he would do well in New, New England because he he's already been there. I mean he coached under um, Belichick for a few years and then he also played in New England as well. Um you know a, a kind of a while back like ten, like 10 15 years ago but now that uh now that Gerard Mayo is hired in New England you know we'll we'll see Mike Vrabel go somewhere else and I mean yeah he'll he'll definitely get a job at you know somewhere else in the NFL probably as a head coach so um I'm going to kind of just pose this question to Matt here do we agree at least you know we haven't really talked about the, the Pete Carroll one in Seattle do we agree with that one because that one that one was a little bit kind of surprising just cuz Pete Carroll is just you know he's he's kind of regarded as 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 one of those staple head coaches that it's a little bit tough to fire, you know. People were saying the same thing with Bill Belichick because he's been in New England for so long. But like, Pete Carroll is kind of another one of those older guys that's kind of tough to fire. You know, you don't really want to fire a guy that's had as much success in coaching in general as Pete Carroll has. So, do we agree with these firings? And then maybe where do we see some of these guys going next? Yeah, that that was the biggest one for me was was Pete Carroll, especially because I mean, right? You know, you, you, he he won one Super Bowl there. You know, right? They run the ball with Marshawn Lynch on the goal line. They have another Super Bowl, so you know he, he probably should have won two Super Bowls. He's the only coach in the history of football to ever win um, a championship at the college and professional level. Uh, so, really, just just a Hall of Fame career on all all around by by Pete Carroll. Um, and, and this is one of those things where, again, I, I've never been inside an all you know an NFL you know manager's room and in, in, in the locker room and all that stuff. But it's like you think back two weeks ago. The Seahawks are in the playoffs. They just need to beat Pittsburgh at home in a game where they're like three and a half, four point favorites. And they win that game. They beat the Cardinals as they did last week. They beat the Cardinals and they're in the playoffs. And if the Seahawks are in the playoffs right now, Pete Carroll's not getting fired, right? So it's like this very interesting sliding doors moment again where, and they were in the playoffs last year because Geno Smith had his big resurgence, right? And Geno Smith still played pretty well, you know, by the, uh, by the end of this year. To a, to the point where right you know if, if they just if they just don't lose as a three point favorite at home uh, to you know to Pittsburgh uh, you know two weeks ago like the, the Seahawks are in the playoffs the Packers are not in the playoffs and 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 Seattle is you know is is going to Dallas for a chance to to go to the divisional round so um, that was kind of the interesting part to me is like this guy clearly still was coaching the team very well they just kind of had a couple slip ups here and there you know uh, you know kind of in the middle of the season and and I think that's kind of what what derailed everything. The roster is okay, right? I mean, Geno Smith, again, had, had a resurgence there. So I, I feel like everything that the organization has done, I mean, they, you know, they got all that draft capital from the Broncos for the, for the Russell Wilson trade. Um, so that definitely worked out in their favor. And maybe it, maybe that's kind of the, the front office and their decision-making was like, hey, great run with Pete Carroll. You know, we, you know Russell Wilson w- was a great quarterback for us. We got, a, you know, a haul in the draft and, and, and player personnel um, for that Russell Wilson trade. Now it's time to just kind of completely rebuild around a different head coach and, and, and just kind of go from here. I guess. Um, and, and right, maybe it was Pete Carroll. He kind of was like, I'm kind of old and, and don't really want to coach anymore either. Uh, but but that was the kind of the surprising thing to me is like this dude won a Super Bowl, was basically a two-yard Marshawn Lynch run away from winning another Super Bowl, took you to the playoffs last year after they were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the NFL last year. They got to the playoffs, Geno Smith and, and his resurgence. Um, and then this year, you know, our, our, our one kind of fluke game away from making the playoffs and, and, and Pete Carroll wouldn't have been fired then. So that's the interesting part to me. I don't know if he'll get hired somewhere else um I think they said that he's gonna be 
maintained in kind of the you know as like a kind of consultancy role which is a lot of a lot of the times with the older coaches when they when they step down or get fired what they end up doing um so so i don't know i guess we'll see on that but yeah the interesting part will be to see which of these coaches that got fired end up being a head coach somewhere else i think as hayden said i think mike frable is probably a, a good a good opportunity for that bill belichick too i think you know he the people are saying he's been linked to the falcons and again i don't know if he you know for how, how old he is if he really wants to go that route and just start over and build something with with a whole other team but you know these football guys are are wired differently um you know just kind of thinking through like arthur smith is not going to get another head coaching job um he's yeah he's just bad, he's um, really bad. Uh, although he was the offensive coordinator when tennessee was really good with mike Vrabel, and that's kind of what propelled him to the head coaching job anyway so you think hey mike Vrabel, maybe he gets yeah. you know one of the open coaching jobs and he brings back arthur smith as offensive coordinator but yeah. um but yeah so I, I i don't even really have much in terms of speculation and everything i just think it'll be interesting to really see like you know obviously josh mcdaniels is not going to get a head coaching position again frank reich has had his way with multiple teams now and has not really been able to do anything so even the guys who were kind of fired brandon staley who were kind of fired earlier on before the season ended before this kind of this past week of, of firings here um don't really see any of them getting head coaching positions again either. So it might only be Mike Vrabel and potentially Bill Belichick, but we'll have to see on that. Yeah, and then maybe we could see this happen, and this kind of delves into our college, one of our college football topics for today. But maybe if you know if Harbaugh maybe does go to the NFL and, and, and takes the Raiders job, for example, then we could see Antonio Pierce, who is one of those interim coach, interim head coaches who, like I feel, I feel like this kind of happens a lot where an interim head, head coach comes in has nothing to lose and then just kind of does really, really well. And we see him, you know, we, we see the guy with a lot of emotion, obviously Antonio Pierce. I'm pretty sure he dropped the F bomb in his first ever like post game interview or something on the field, which was kind of funny to see. But, but yeah, I mean, a guy, a guy like Antonio Pierce, who is obviously if, if he's able to kind of, you know, lead the whole football side of things, he's got the whole emotional side of thing down. He's able to lead a team. He's able to kind of be that emotional leader that a head coach is supposed to be that, Josh McDaniels pretty much got fired for not being the emotional guy that that you need ahead at the head coaching helm of things. Um, so I think that yeah, I think Antonio Pierce could be also a candidate if the Raiders kind of do move on from him. He could be a candidate to maybe go around and 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 get another job here in the NFL. But yeah, I, I just want to shout out first of all, I just want to shout out, shout out the Patriots for getting Gerard Mayo again. Gerard Mayo, he's kind of like a Mike Vrabel hiring. Gerard Mayo used to play for the Patriots too, yeah. um, and then he was also he's he's also kind of a defensive minded coach. So him coming under Bill Belichick, he played under Bill Belichick, and him now being the head coach taking over for you know Bill Belichick leaving, I feel like he's going to be a really similar coach. Obviously, he's a lot he's like forty years younger. He's actually now the youngest head coach in the NFL. It's not Sean McVay who held gosh, that title for like ten guy. years. Oh it's insane. But one and lost a Super Bowl. And was still the youngest head yes. coach in the league this year. Yeah, so now now that title goes to Gerard Mayo, thanks to him getting the job in New England. He's thirty seven, which is you know, which still which sounds really young still. I mean he, he also I don't I don't mean this as a, as a shot at the guy, but like he looks a lot older than thirty seven. He looks like he's like fifty two, but um yeah, but I mean that's just I guess that's maybe just him growing some gray hairs from getting frustrated on the sidelines, but yeah, I just want to kind of commend the Patriots for hiring him. I think that was a great move. I didn't even really think of that. Um, I was thinking, again, more kind of a guy like Mike Vrabel who has head coaching experience. But I kind of see Gerard Mayo as as, as a D'Amico Ryans type head coach coming in, you know, kind of a younger guy, defensive-minded, played linebacker for the team that he's going to be coach, coaching for. I think it's kind of a, a perfect situation. I think Gerard Mayo kind of just needs to – you know, just needs to maybe have a couple a couple years in New England where he gets used to things, and he'll probably be off and running. Hopefully, but hopefully the you know New England won't move on too fast if he doesn't do crazy stuff in New England next year. So that's that, that's that's my favorite part. Well, about and, this. and I think there won't be expectations of that, which is the good yeah. thing. It's almost good that like True. Bill Belichick had this end to his career where the Patriots were one of the worst teams in the NFL um, yeah. to, to kind of prove that, okay, he's not the end-all be-all and the Patriots are going to continue in this dynasty forever. Um, unlike what we're going to be talking about next, where when Nick Saban leaves Alabama, no matter who gets that position, they are going to have the utmost expectations year in and year out, no matter what. Yeah, that's right. So let's, let's just move into college football then. So, like Matt said, it was announced, uh, well, two days ago, I guess now at this point, that 
Nick Saban is retiring, which kind of came out of no- nowhere, at least for me. Like, I didn't really, you know, I feel like for a guy like Nick Saban, it- it's kind of like a Bill Belichick thing where you hear rumblings of it before it kind of happens. But, um, yeah, but he, I mean, he just kind of retired out of nowhere. Again, he didn't get fired like Bill Belichick technically did. So that's, it's, it's a little bit different in that sense. But he retired after losing in the semifinals of, of a college football playoff. I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't, that he kind of didn't, you know, walk off under the sunset after after winning a col- a, a final um, college football playoff and then kind of re- retiring after that. But maybe he's thinking like, "Hey, we're going into a whole whole different era where there's going to be twelve teams in the playoff, and that might mix some things up and make it a little bit harder to win the championship." So for our team, so let's let's just kind of end it here, and and I'll you know I'll I'll kind of take my take my earnings while I can. Let's talk a little bit about his legacy as one of the greats overall. I think it's 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 the only it's the only right thing to do in this situation because I mean he really is the greatest. He is the great of college football. And then um and then let's also kind of ponder on the whole Kalen DeBoer um hiring as, you know, maybe a a good or a bad move. I'm interested to see what Matt says, but yes, can we can we at least give Nick Saban a little bit of credit for what he's done over However many years he's been in Alabama, like what, 12, 15 years? 17, 17. years. But wow. the, 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 the stat that you're going to take away from this and the biggest deal is that he won six championships in the first 14 years that he was there. All right. And, yeah. and, and so in the last three years, he's made the playoff, I think, two out of the three years, and he hasn't won the championship. And so this was actually, and that's what everybody kept saying, kind of pre or really after they lost the Rose Bowl to Michigan was this is the first year in Nick Saban's tenure that he hasn't won a championship in three straight years, which yeah. like, how, which that, that are means, you kidding me? yeah, that means um also that a player that right. any player that played four years at Alabama that played all four years at, you know, as you're kind of expected to do once you, once you go to a, a school for, for football, any player that played all four years at Alabama did not go without, Winning a championship, every player in the last twenty years, which yes. is like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, which is why you go to Alabama. I yes, mean, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's what he built, right? And part of what we think as like the SEC being the best conference in football, and you know, it just means more in the SEC. Everything runs through the SEC. A lot of that was Nick Saban. Like he put Alabama on the map. Every other school, every other you know university in the in the SEC was like, well, we're gonna have to compete with this guy. And uh, and and they did their best. And you have Georgia now kind of popping their head up. And um and and so, but but as we kind of go along in the career of Nick Saban, you know. When he first took over 2007, 2008, that was very much still kind of that old school style of, you know, run, running the football all the time, playing hard defense. Um, and, and, and that was kind of the, you know, the, the what kind of put Nick Saban and Alabama on the map as being this perennial power in, you know, year in and year out. Well, then we move on to, you know, we see Chip Kelly pop his head up and have a lot of success at Oregon with the spread offense and kind of just the, 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 you know, the, the techniques outside of and kind of what has made football today into, hey, it's just more efficient to pass the ball, right? And you want to spread out your your athlete, get, get athletes on the field and spread out the defense as much as possible such that you can have success on the offensive side of the ball. And I remember there was this famous press conference where Nick Saban essentially was like at the podium. And it, it's like it's like that the the dark boss evil guy in like all the movies and, and video games that you play, where he essentially stood up in front of the media and the press and everybody was listening, and he was like, "Do you really want the game to be what you know what it's turning into as the spread and passing and everything?" And he was like, "Okay," and like he did it because <laughs> yeah. like he recruited Jalen Hurts and Tua yeah. and you know all the guys who are NFL starters now, and and, and you know the, the 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 absolute run of first round talent receivers that we now see all over the NFL right now, and and so you know that I think is just like the 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 biggest testament to what Nick Saban has done, where it's like no matter how the game is being played, no matter the changes that go on throughout the sport, you know there's always been one constant, and that's been Alabama at the top of the sport, and Nick Saban at the top of Alabama, um, and, and so I think just to put it in perspective, because again, obviously. You know, okay, yeah, he's the best coach to ever do it. Great. But I think what what I, I was watching Sports Center, Scott Van Pelt was kind of doing a segment on it and, and the thing that he said that I think kind of stood out to me in terms of just comparing, you know, what we're what we're looking at in this day and age of college football is looking at what Jim Harbaugh did with Michigan over these past six what six years he's been there, all the trials and tribulations and, and we saw all of what happened uh, you know, on kind of the, the back end of Michigan winning this national championship and like everything it took them to get here and all of what Jim Harbaugh's gone through to get here. That was one championship. 
Okay, yeah. that was one. You know, everything broke right. Michigan did it, and yeah, they won. The, you know, they went fifteen and zero, and they you know, they won all their games. They didn't allow. I think it was like the stat was like they didn't allow any of their opponents to score more than twenty five points, and that hasn't done been done since like the nineteen thirties or whatever. So yes, this was a dominant Michigan team that deserved to win a national championship. Congratulations to them. But Jim Harbaugh is being praised as one of the best coaches ever now, and he's done it one time. And it's like Nick Saban's yeah. done that times six in essentially like less than double the time that Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan. So that I think speaks to me the most in terms of just like, if you compare the two situations, it's just, it's insane what he was able to do in his time there. Yeah. I I think that's completely right. And I think another thing to, to mention is not only Nick Saban's, you know, coaching prowess on the field, but I've seen, and this, this, this may be a little bit, you know, recency bias and, and social media bias in a way, but I mean, hey, you know, some might say that scrolling on TikTok is is not the the best way to use your time, which I'm a little bit guilty of that. Sometimes I do find myself scrolling on TikTok for a while, but I will say that there are videos on TikTok that you know, there's been kind of like right, videos that are that are kind of commemorating his legacy, and there's this one that always stands out to me that I've seen multiple times at this point, but it's it's the it's that one press conference with Nick Saban talking in front of the media about giving kids a chance when they've made a mistake, right? And it's like it, a, a lot of times was, I think it was when it was he it was, it was Bryce a, Young and 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 someone else was on his side like they were like he was like in the middle of them, right? Is that No, 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 no. That's that's oh. when he that's when they lost. That's what I was thinking that but, you were mentioning. No, 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 no. That's but that's another good one. Is is when they it was it was Bryce Young and Will Anderson on yeah, either side of they him. Lost to Georgia. And yeah, they lost to Georgia and he was like he was like yes, we lost, but I just want to and oh yeah, he like stood up and then came and sat back down. Or no, he sat Bryce Young and Will Anderson back down um, right. when they were about to leave. And he was like, "I just want to shout out these kids and say how you know how important they've been to our team." And it, it, you know, in a way, that kind of increased their draft stock, probably at least for some coaches. So that's one thing. But he he had another interview where he talked about. I think it was maybe when the whole Henry Ruggs thing happened. When obviously you know Henry Ruggs got thrown in jail for what he did. And it may may have been on something else. I mean, he said he's probably had plenty of players that have been been in big trouble for what they've done outside of football and, you know, made mistakes. But again, these guys are 18, 19 years old, and he makes that known to the media in this press conference that he's that he's that he's engaging in. And he essentially just says, you know, do you want what do you want to do to these kids? They make one mistake. And now Henry Ruggs' mistake is is a pretty big one. I mean, you know, it resulted in in a not very good situation. But for a kid that makes a you know a smaller mistake and he's and the media comes at him and you know condemns him for it to no end, do you want that kid to be only known for that mistake and then the rest of his life is ruined, or do you want the, a kid to be able to come back from a mistake, learn, learn learn from a mistake and have a great career? You know, he he mentions a guy that um, that he used to coach that you know did something a little bit bad, but instead of getting in trouble, they or Nick Saban suspended him for a little bit let him play for the rest of his college career, and then he had a 15-year 15, 15 NFL career, has seven kids at this point, and his first daughter that he had is you know went to Princeton or something like that. So it's it's he used that as an example of, right, this is the way I coach. This is the way I do things around, in, in, you know, around my program. If you don't like it, if you think that I should condemn a kid forever for, for him making one little mistake, then you're crazy because you want to give, you know, would you give your kid you're an 18 or 19 year old kid a second chance if they make a little mistake yes you would and so he he kind of you know put the viewers of that interview in in a, in a position where in a kind of like a parent's position and he it's almost like you know he feels like a parent's to or he feels like a parent to the to the players that he coaches which is what makes a great head coach and i think that's kind of what made him um so respected in the coaching coaching community which um, you know, I, that's kind of how I remember him as a coach is like, obviously he never coached me, but that's, that's a guy that I would want as a coach, you know, a guy that gives second chances and a guy that doesn't really, you know, that'll yell at you if, if you do something wrong during the game, which he did plenty of times, but he's, he's ultimately a guy that's going to build you up and, and actually wants the best for you in your career. So that's, that's, that's kind of my little Nick Saban spiel, but Matt, what do we think about, um, what do we think about, uh, about Kalen DeBoer? Do we think that it's a a good hiring. Obviously, he he came from Washington, who just had a great season and lost in the championship. But what do we think about this hire? Do we think it's a little bit, a little bit, um, kind of out of the ordinary for what we thought would happen? Matt, what do we think? I think it's a great hire, and I think if you're kind of a casual college football fan, and you and you, I, I can see very much where you know you'd view this as like, 
okay, this, so this random guy who's the coach at Washington had a randomly good season with a really great quarterback in Michael Penix, and now Alabama wants to hire him? Like, what's the deal with that? No. Kalen DeBoer has won wherever he's been, and he's been one of those guys who has risen up through the ranks through, like, been, like, every possible – he's won everywhere that he's been in football. He was, like, D2 Wisconsin Whitewater or something. He won, like, three straight national championships there. He goes to be the offensive coordinator at Indiana where he coached Michael Penix, and, again, Mike, if you go – Indiana was never necessarily like a great during that time, but it was also during COVID. And I think they, I think they did go, it was one of the years they went like six and one in the COVID year, I think. And they made it to the net, to the, uh, to the big 10 championship or something. They ended up getting crushed by Ohio state, but who didn't at that time of the year or at that time of the, uh, in, in, in college football. And so then he goes to be the, he's the offensive coordinator in Indiana. He goes to be the head coach of Fresno state for two years. And, he was really good there, or maybe it was only one year. It might have only been one I year. I think it was only one. Yeah, and so and and so he had Jake Hayner, you know, the, the, who was a really good college quarterback. He got drafted by the Saints and didn't really play that much this year, but but he was one of the best college quarterbacks um, in in Fresno State history, and 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 really kind of you know his stats and everything. It was great, right, for what he did at Fresno State. And then because of the, the success, and I think Fresno State only lost one game or two games that year because of the success he had at Fresno State. He gets hired to Washington. He loses one game or two games last year um, and then basically just brings everybody back this year. Goes undefeated the entire way, you know, only loses the only lo- the only loss was to Michigan. So I think that in, in I think and I think kind of the, the stat to kind of put this in perspective is that throughout Kalen DeBoer's coaching career, I think he's like 115 and 11 or something like it's ridiculous. This guy is just like wherever he goes, he wins games. So, so that should kind of quell your thoughts as to, like, who was this random dude who Alabama just hired, especially given that it's Alabama, which is the historically the best program, the most famous program in all of college football, and whose fans are insane and will essentially, if you have one losing season, basically want to kick you out, right? Um, and, and so you're thinking kind of like, that's an interesting move for this guy to make, whereas you have your Lane Kiffins, you have your Dan Lannings, who's the coach at Oregon. Oregon, by the way, oh my god. Oregon's going to win the Big Ten next year, probably probably win the championship next year if Georgia doesn't. But, yeah, so watch out for Oregon because they're on the map right now. But, anyway, you're thinking, you know, right, some, some one of the big names, maybe even Jim Harbaugh, you know, who, who knows. Um, and, and you end up with Kalen DeBoer, but I think, you know, this is one of those hires that really is kind of – Alabama's really smart in making this decision because I think the only thing that this guy does is win. I think he'll continue to do that at Alabama. The only – downside I could see potentially this could go kind of one of two ways right he keeps winning because he just knows how to do that and that's just how he coaches football or it's great that you're able to win as the offensive coordinator at Indiana it's great that you're able to win at Fresno State in the Mountain West when you're playing you know Utah State on a on a on a on a week in week out basis it's great that you're able to win even at Washington where the Pac-12 was good this year but is now not even a conference anymore and and you know okay, yeah, USC fizzled out. Caleb Williams wasn't that good this year. Oregon was a great team this year, but Washington beat him twice, right? So it's it's great that you have this winning record at all these kind of smaller schools out there on the West Coast. It's a lot different when you get to the NS, to the SEC, and I think that's going to be the kind of the one challenge in this new transfer portal era, in this new NIL era, where if, if, you're, at, if you're at Fresno and you're at Washington, you take the best players you can and you do the best you can with them, What's going to be interesting going forward now is like, and clearly that's, that's a player development thing, right? Where it's like you, you have taken what you can get, which is not that great of talent to begin with. You've developed them into the talented personnel that they ended up being. And now you're, you know, you're out here, you know, with a chance to win the national championship, but right. Everything changes in the SEC, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the coaching and the players and the NIL and the, and the transfers and everything that goes into being not only in the SEC, but at that the, the biggest brand, the most important, the biggest team, and the best team overall, you know, six, um, historically in the SEC, which is Alabama. That's going to be kind of the interesting thing to see is, like, you had a lot of success with lesser players. That usually is a good indication of, and I think that's why Alabama went after him, is that, like, that's a good indication of player development, which is what you need in this era of transfer portal and NIL. Um, but, but is it going to be too much of a big step to go from kind of your North, you know, Pacific Northwest to the hotbed of college football right there in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's I think that's perfectly put by Matt, but I think that one thing I was a little bit surprised about and maybe this, you know, it, it may have more to do with the whole buyout thing with head coaches now in, in college football, which is which is insane. I mean, we've talked about it before how much money goes into these buyouts. So maybe maybe Lane Kiffin's buyout was a lot, but I was a little bit surprised that they didn't go after Lane Kiffin more. And I think Lane Kiffin was himself was a little bit surprised too. I'm pretty sure he had some kind of. Or I, I saw a Bleacher Report notification today about some cryptic tweet that he had. I didn't read it. I didn't go on Twitter to see it. 
But apparently, after Kevin De- um, Kalen DeBoer got hired at at Alabama, Lane Kiffin tweeted out something a little bit indirect, maybe you know some indirect shade towards Alabama for not hiring him. It seemed like, at least from that from the tweet that he tweeted out, whatever. I mean, maybe if it was his, his intention, then sure, fine, whatever. But I'm I'm a little bit surprised they didn't go after him because he was there for so so much of that success with Nick Saban. He coached under Nick Saban. He he knows. Alabama is just one of those schools, man. And Matt said it best. You know, like it's Alabama football. They have a, a really, really strong fan base. Really, you know, kind of uh, strong-hearted fan base that's gonna criticize everything that you do unless you do it perfectly. And I think a guy like Lane Kiffin is a guy that they would accept and welcome a lot more than a guy like Kalen DeBoer at at least at first. Like they know. You know, the fans know who Lane Kiffin is. They know that Lane Kiffin was able to build those crazy offenses that um, that Alabama had in, in, in so many of their glory years. I just think that, and obviously now he's still coaching in the SEC, like Matt said, that's a very big factor that, we, that we'll probably see come into play is coaching experience in the SEC. I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't go after an SEC coach, and especially Lane Kiffin, a guy that's been coaching the SEC for so long, you know, has head coaching experience at this point at an SEC school like Ole Miss. It's just a little bit, it's a little bit surprising, but again, that might have more to do with the whole buyout thing. Like that's maybe why they didn't, why they didn't do that. Maybe they would have had to pay some of the buyout to Ole Miss. I don't know that. that yeah, yeah that's, would. yeah, that's, that's probably a reason why, but I don't know. I, I think it like if Lane Kiffin would have gotten hired, I would have looked at my phone and just immediately put it down and been like, okay, that makes total sense. But I looked a little. I looked at my phone a little bit longer when I saw that Kalen DeBoer was was hired. But again, I think that, yeah, Matt. Like Matt said, I mean, he's had so much success everywhere he's gone. It's one of those things where you say, okay, well, at this point, if he really was a little bit of a questionable hire, he would have met, messed up already along the way somewhere. But he hasn't. So that's that's probably the the main thing that we should be saying with, um, you know, in regards to to, to Kalen DeBoer. I think the only other thing on Lane, Lane Kevin real quick is that he's kind of. He's kind of like trolly, and like he'll get on Twitter and like yeah. you know start stuff. And I and I think at Alabama you just are you just need someone who's as cold hearted and just an absolute winner like Nick Saban is, and, and and Lane is a little bit little bit out there. And I think I think Ole Miss is good for him. I also know that Ole Miss they've been killing it in the transfer portal in terms of just getting guys in, developing developing them, and and, and really kind of you know winning in the in recruiting too. So. It is interesting now, too, because you almost think of, like, Alabama, you, you can't have the same expectations as before. The fan base is going to have the same expectations as Alabama before. But a, a team like Ole Miss, which has been consistently just, you know, they win all their games except for Alabama. Like, you know, yeah. that's a team that can pop their head up now and potentially yeah. win the SEC, right? So I think that it's almost one of those things that maybe even put a chip on Lane, Lane Kiffin's shoulder to be like, hey, they didn't consider me for this job. Well, you know, congratulations. I'm going to run your team into the dirt now, right? It's, it's, it's going to be, I think, create a lot more openness in the SEC in terms of just kind of the competitiveness and, and the other teams that, have, that are going to be able to have success now that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the end-all, be-all Nick Saban is not there anymore. That's right. All right, let's move quickly into – just a little bit of a national championship game recap and what it means for Harbaugh. I'm not going to harp too much on this because we've kind of already mentioned, you know, Harbaugh, it, 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 it's kind of all over the place, what, whether he's going to stay in Michigan or or if he's going to move to the NFL and take another NFL head coaching job because he's had, you know, he had success with the 49ers for that run. Uh, he was, you know, he was their coach when they made it to the Super Bowl and lost, but was still their coach then. So what, what do we think about Jim Harbaugh? Where is he going to? Where do we think he'll go? And then a little bit of national championship recap. We already kind of gave that when talking about Washington. But where do we think things are going to go after after what happened on Monday? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's pretty clear that Jim Harbaugh wants to win a Super Bowl now. Um, he was so close. Obviously, he played Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh, his brother, uh, in that Super Bowl about 10 years ago now. And, and, and John Harbaugh got the best of him. So, um, you know, now he goes back to his alma mater, Michigan. He builds the program up. He wins a championship. He did everything he said he was going to do. He reached the peak of the mountaintop. Now it's time to go back to the NFL, you know, and, and reach the peak of the mountaintop there, too, by winning a Super Bowl. Um, I think it's probably the most likely that he goes to the Chargers just because that team is pretty stacked already. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and you're able to basically just walk in and have a pro bowl level quarterback and Justin Herbert ready for you. Whereas with the Raiders, you know, what do you want to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back? Aiden O'Connell was not that great. Um, yeah. and, and so it's much more of just kind of the organization already seems to kind of be ready for a, a coach like Jim Harbaugh to come in and, and have success with the chargers. Um, but the chargers and Raiders are kind of the two that he's linked to. I don't really see him going anywhere else. 
Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I, I do see him going back to the NFL. I think because he hasn't come out and said, like a lot of times I feel like coaches, when there's some speculation around what they're going to do in the future, as long as coaches don't immediately come out and say like, no, no, I'm, I'm staying with Michigan, you know, don't worry about the, what the media is saying. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, stick to my roots here. Like since he hasn't said that yet, and I feel like Harbaugh is a guy that w- that would say that because he's he's you know he's a he's, he's an emotional guy for well you know at least he coaches like it. Um, I feel like at this point he probably would have said that. Hey, I'm staying at Michigan, but he hasn't. So I think we'll probably see him go to the NFL. I think I think he's still a pretty good candidate for for Las Vegas. I think that he would probably fit in well there, especially with the with the, with the guys they have on that team and and the chip on that those guys have on their shoulder right now. Um, you know, guys like Max Crosby, I think he'd probably fit in well with them, but, um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't see him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go him, go to Los Angeles, um, and, and coach the chargers. I think that it's probably between those two teams, but we'll kind of just have to have to wait and see, but that's enough of that enough college football talk. Let's move into college basketball. Give a little state of the game. So, so many things have, have happened just ever since conference play started. I think the past, I think the past couple weeks, it's, isn't it different for most conferences? It's like, some conferences have been playing yeah. conference play for like a few weeks, and then some just started, you know, yesterday or whatever. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird. At, at least this past week, some conference. I think the bigger conferences started just this past week. Like yeah, it's S- now fully SEC. Into, everybody's playing conference. Yeah. But you're right. It was like like the like the like the Big East was playing like a conference game before Christmas, and they had yeah. more non conference games after. And you're like, what's going on? Yeah, it was really so. weird. But um, but yeah, let's let's give a little state of the game here since we haven't really talked about college basketball so far this season. And then maybe we'll dive into some, you know, some of the recent upsets that happened just this past week. I think it was wasn't like the top three teams got upset. Four of the top five. Yes, but but it was the top three teams all got upset within two days. Yeah, you know, two two consecutive days. So that's that's a that's a cool little stat there for you. But I'll hand it over to Matt here to talk about just kind of the state of the game, where we're at in terms of the top teams, and then some. I well, I have one team that I'm gonna kind of shout out as being a an, an early March Madness sleeper, possibly because they've taken down so many good teams, but I'll hand it over to Matt to, to start us off. Yeah, so, I mean, going into the season, you pretty much had, you know, Purdue coming back as the, they basically brought everybody back from a team that was a one seed last year, given, yes, they did lose to Fairleigh Dickinson in the first in the first round, um, but they brought back Zach Eady, who was the National Player of the Year last year, as well as kind of their, you know, their young and t- talented but young backcourt, which has now gotten a little more experience, too. So they were kind of the, you know, the inevitable kind of number one, you know, kind of coming back this year. Kansas was good last year. Lost also early in the tournament, um, but but brought back pretty much uh, their their good players. They also got the biggest transfer of the of the year of the season, which was Hunter Dickinson, who transferred from Michigan to Kansas. Kansas though they're they're a little bit top heavy. Like their top, they're starting four. They're they're four four of their top five or four of their starting five are, are probably the the best starting four in the league or in the in the in the country. Only problem is you got five guys on the, on the court there. So Kansas has no depth. And we, and we saw that actually in a loss at UCF um, earlier this week, which is one of those, those, those big kind of upsets that Hayden was talking about where, you know, once they have to, once they get in a little bit of foul trouble, they got to go to the bench. Kansas is, is a little bit shaky. Um, Purdue also, I, I mentioned Purdue. Purdue has lost twice. Now they lost or at Northwestern and at Nebraska, which are two, two places that you, you wouldn't think that the best team in the Big Ten would be losing at but again you, you know once you get into conference play and you're, you know you're traveling all the time and it's just it's it's craziness inside and outside every single day going to these schools it, it's really been kind of tough to or it's it's been it's been cool to watch kind of these bigger schools really just, just you know walk in and, and have one off night and you're done in the in the, in the Big Ten specifically so um, yeah so those were kind of the two the two teams that were basically you know back and forth between number one kind of coming into the season you also have Houston who has been in the AAC for the past whatever 10 years or whatever um they've gotten a one seed in two of the past three tournaments they they didn't bring everybody back but they but they just kind of have that recruiting base established with Calvin Sampson who's their head coach um and and they were actually the last team that was undefeated uh, until they lost to Iowa State uh, this past week, so so they had, but they had a really easy non-conference schedule. So it's kind of the same way where it's like a lot of these teams, like Purdue, Kansas, Marquette, uh, Tennessee, they all played in the Maui tournament at the to the begin at the beginning of the year, and Purdue ended up winning it. But it's like essentially you're gonna you're gonna one only one team's gonna come out of there unscathed, right? Everybody else is gonna lose to each other. So a lot of these top five teams have had losses, but it's because they've played each other, right? Another another team, Arizona, um, they've been top ten the whole year. They were actually number one at one point, but like they you know they went into. Duke and they beat Duke, right? And then they 
you know, they lose to Purdue because Purdue's really good, right? So it's like, and they had another loss uh, somewhere somewhere along the way as well. So, so it, it, and I like that college, that the teams in college basketball do this because it does get so much less recognition than college and pro football to the point where these team, these top teams have to play each other f- so that you can at least get some sort of recognition. But also I think it really helps in kind of us forming like what we think we're and about where these teams are um, along the way. So, so you've had a ton of, top teams losing quote unquote but they're a lot of them are just losing to other top five other you know other top 10 teams so I think that's kind of my favorite part about college basketball is you look at the records and you say oh well you know nobody's really good nobody's undefeated right nobody's that that uh, Kentucky team from 2014 with Anthony Davis where they go into the tournament undefeated you know and stuff like that you, you have a lot of the top teams playing non-conference games against each other which I really love to see you know especially given that you know Right. I mean, March Madness is pretty much the only reason that college basketball or, or is really yeah, really the only reason that people even watch college basketball. And so to kind of have these data points on teams that are playing each other, especially these top teams, that I think really evens it out. And you get to see, you know, the, the matchups inside and out of, of what these teams are kind of really going on for you know, or, or, you know, facing on a daily basis. Now that we get into conference play. Right, those you know the teams like Purdue, they're going to face more losses, right? Teams that were top five, like Tennessee, they you know they just recently lost, um, and they and they were in the top five as well this 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 week. Um, you know, UConn is probably the only other, other team that I kind of failed to mention in terms of like the top five bona fide coming into the year. Uh, they they lost, I think, a couple pieces off. They lost Andre Jackson and and Trist, um, no, Tristan Newton still plays for them. The three point shooter who who got drafted, I think, by the Pelicans, I forget his name. Um, but um, but but they bring back pretty much everybody else, and 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 I think that they, you know they're pretty, or they at least had a really good start to the season. But it's like they go to Seton Hall and they lose to Seton Hall by eight or whatever it was. So it's kind of like even when you do think that there's you know this team that can maybe be a juggernaut in their conference, you know they're they're just losing to conference teams on the road on a daily basis. So so it's just it's 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 craziness. You know you can kind of look at the sport and say oh well everybody just beats each other and there's no there's no good teams which always makes for kind of your your best matchups or, or rivalries when you get into uh, when you again kind of the end of the season there but I, I i love seeing the the opportunity for these teams to just kind of you know poke their head up and, and win on a, on a uh, on any given night so um yeah so that's kind of my big big state of the game college basketball thing i don't really have a, a i forgot that hayden wrote down to kind of give a, a a team to make a run here so i'll hand it over to him he can he can have all the all the funny ones with with some dark horse teams that maybe can make him run in march yeah well I, I didn't really i just kind of wanted to rely on you to give the state of the game i didn't even really want you to give a a, a a dark horse team or kind of a small team that's that's been doing well that was like I said that was, that was kind of just more for what I had in mind for um for when I talk about college basketball but yeah I mean there's been one team that I've kind of had my eye on so far this season and Matt actually just mentioned him and it's Seton Hall they had their win against UConn that was their big first win um UConn I think they're, they're still ranked top five but I think at the time UConn was like either three or two or something like that um, and they actually didn't beat them by eight. They beat them by 15. So they beat, you know, a, a top five team by 15 points. And then uh, they they actually went to Xavier the, the game after they lost against them. But then the, the next two games, so they had three ranked wins. I think like three top 15 wins um, within a four-game stretch, which is insane. They went to Providence, who was ranked, I'm pretty sure, at the time that they played them. Providence isn't ranked anymore, I don't think. But um, Seton Hall went to Providence, beat Providence there, and Providence is, is kind of one of those big, biggest, big East teams. And then they went, um, they well, they had Marquette come to them, and then they beat Marquette that next game after beating Providence. So again, within with, within a four game stretch since uh, de- since December twentieth, Seton Hall has been on on an absolute tear. They actually just beat Georgetown as well, but Georgetown is not you know is, is not really a big East juggernaut. But they beat you know three of the Big East juggernauts, and and they're they're a Big East team that could be you know could be a kind of a an upset favorite in the tournament. And I think that well, at least for me, I think Big East teams are always are they're kind of always an upset bid in the um in the tournament at, at least in terms of them making the upset and not being you know on on the losing end of the upset. So Seton Hall, I mean, they're looking like a, t- a tournament team. They had some kind of some shaky losses to start off the season, but. This is this is when we start seeing you know around January February this is when we start seeing teams that are capable of making a March run start to kind of turn up and 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 get you know more wins and losses on the board so I think Seton Hall is kind of a you know they, they they've had good programs in the past but they haven't really I don't think they've really had a, a big tournament run and I'm not saying I'm not giving any guarantees this year for it I'm just saying kind of just look out for them to maybe 
have some more upsets when they play, you know, when they play those teams again. Maybe even like a Big East tournament run that could be in play for Seton Hall. I just think that it's it's cool to see the you know the the Pirates make a um, make a splash in the Big East pretty early here in the season still. So that's kind of just my my little spiel about Seton Hall. Yeah, and we know they're capable of it because their coach Shaheen Holloway. You know, remember who was the coach of Hayden? Yeah. <sighs> St. Yeah. Peter's when they got to the Elite Eight oh. a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> oh, there we Basically, go. a North Carolina loss yes. from going to the Final Four as a 15 seed. Yeah. So, they can do it, man. This coach has, has got it in them. He's got them playing right, and I, I really like that pick. I do think they can make some noise. I mean, right, you get to March, you got a coach like Sahin Holloway who's brought a 15 seed to the to the Elite Eight. Anything's possible. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I don't want to, you know, I just kind of want to give this disclaimer now, and this will be the last thing I say um, sports-wise, but I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to harp on them too much and – Give him too much credit. Again, anything can happen in March. Anything can happen in conference tournaments. So we could see him going to the conference tournament as, you know, like a, I don't know, like a like a five seed and then losing the first round. And it's like, well, you know, then my my whole spiel is a little bit um, undermined by that. But again, tournament time, come tournament time, they will be a team and we'll just kind of have to watch out for them. D- depending on their seed, if they're an 11 seed or something like that, I kind of, I really like him because that 11 over six matchup is always always a good upset to pick for whether it's you know any team there that, that's a good upset to pick so that's going to end off the sports talk for today thank you guys so much for, for listening a little bit of a shorter one today but again we, we wanted to make sure to get everything in today especially college basketball even though it came at the end we wanted to at least uh uh give our you know make our mark on the sport uh so far this season so that's going to wrap up things for today again Thank you guys for the continued support. We will try to be back at some point next week. Uh, I go back to school in two days, so that's <laughs> it's kind of up in the air. That's always a little bit, little bit um, shaky. At least getting back into the routine of things. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have much time to do the podcast this semester. It'll, it'll kind of just depend on on my workload. I have a little bit of a lighter workload with only four classes instead of five, but I still do have work with the with the UVA football team so we'll just kind of have to see how things go but I'm hoping to be able to do it again I I promise you guys I will be there for March Madness we will do at least two March Madness episodes so do not be do not fret we will be back in March no matter what even if we don't make another one until then which again I hope we do uh, I I will be there for for March Madness so that's going to be that's going to be a fun time. So, if it's not until then, um, you know, hope you guys do do well until then, but hopefully we will make an at least one other episode, maybe a Super Bowl or whatever um, until then. So, again, thank you guys for listening today and we will catch you whenever the next time is.